Like memoirs, like graphic novels. What about graphic memoirs? Author and artist Martha Grova is currently working on a graphic memoir, and today we'll be talking all about that, her previous memoirs, uh, writing, and more. So don't go away. Matthew Felix On Air starts now. Welcome to Matthew Felix On Air, people who create, people who make a difference, coming to you from WordSpace Studios in San Francisco, California. Hope you had a great week. For me, it was not only trip preparation, but the unofficial start of my trip. Uh, as I mentioned before, I'm getting ready to go to Paris, and so I had to, get my, had to get my apartment ready for my subletter, and I had to pack and get settled at my friend's, where I've been house-sitting for the past week before I leave tomorrow. And as I mentioned before, the impetus for my trip to Paris is uh, the invitation that I got from author, filmmaker, and Lit Wings founder, Aaron Byrne, who invited me to, uh, to present at Lit Wings in Paris this Thursday, April 11th. And uh, as I've also mentioned before, East Lit Wings event has one writer, one photographer, and one filmmaker. And so in addition to myself, Ernest White II will be uh, one of the presenters. He is host of the travel documentary uh, Fly series, Fly Brother, which just got greenlit by PBS to go, um, to go live later this year. So congratulations to him and looking forward to hearing him talk all about his new series. And then also award-winning photographer and writer Lona Merch will be uh, coming from Copenhagen, Denmark. She, of course, was just here at WordSpace Studios doing a residency and um, looking forward to seeing her again. And she's been on this show before. And last but certainly not least, Tony Alberto Rigatini will be on, or uh, will be presenting rather. He's a poet, playwright, and screenwriter, as well as host of, or co-host of Spoken Word Paris. So also, uh, I think, well, I'll mention that in a second, but I know that Mia Funk, who is the, uh, an artist and founder of the Creative Process Exhibition, will also be giving a quick update about that exhibition. But like I said, I'm going to talk a little bit more about that uh, later. Long story short, though, if you are in Paris this Thursday, April 11th, uh, please stop by La Caféothèque, which is near the Hôtel de Ville, for those of you who know Paris, at uh, 8 o'clock for what promises to be a great event. In other news, just a couple hours ago, I was live on the Travel Guys radio show, which broadcasts from uh, KFBK AM 1530 and News Talk 93.1 FM in Sacramento, California, so just up the street. And I had a great talk with hosts Mark Hoffman and Tom Romano about my new book, Porcelain Travels. And uh, I want to thank them again for, for having, having me on their show. And that, uh, that episode, of course, is now has been archived, so you can go check that out on kfbk.com. As for this show, my, uh, my video podcast, I will be continuing to do my episodes while I'm in Paris. I will not be able to do them live, unfortunately, due to technical limitations of my my cheap laptop, it's not actually so cheap, but it's just, it's, it's old, my old laptop. Uh, but I'm still going to do three shows, and they will still be broadcast at the regularly scheduled time, so Sundays at 6 p.m. And my first guest, or my, um, uh, my first guest is actually going to be Erin Byrne, and that, that'll be um, next week. And like I said, she's the one who invited me. She's Litwing's founder, author, and filmmaker. And so the Litwing's event will have just happened a couple days earlier, so we're obviously going to talk about that. But uh, besides being founder of Lit Wings, Erin is the author of Wings, Gifts of Art, Life, and Travel in France, and she's the editor of the Vignettes and Postcards in Paris anthology, 
And she also did a film that takes place in Paris called The Story, the Story Keeper. And so, as you can see, Erin uh, is the perfect person to have on as my first guest when I'm in Paris. So we're going to talk all about Paris, writing, um, her relationship with Paris, with France, and lots more stuff. My two other guests that I'll have on the show while I'm in Paris are um, author David Downey, and he has a new novel out called The Gardener of Eden. And Mia Funk, like I just mentioned a second ago, who will be at Lit Wings doing a quick um, quick update on the creative process, creative process exhibition, which launched at the Sorbonne and is traveling to 40 leading universities around the world. So I'm going to talk with Mia about her art because she's an artist first and foremost. And then she also founded this exhibition and talk about the exhibition, which is a very big deal. Like I said, 40 universities around the world and also just the creative process in general, her process, creativity uh, and on and on and on. So three great conversations or episodes, uh, shows that I'm looking forward to having when I'm in Paris. Uh, okay, I think that's it for the update. So after this quick message from my sponsor, Wordspace Studios, I will be back to talk with author, poet, and artist Martha Grover. A quick thanks to Wordspace Studios in San Francisco for sponsoring Matthew Felix on Air. Wordspace's mission is to bring together writers and thinkers of all ages and experiences, Wordspace will soon be offering creative writing workshops, a literary book club, and guided writing groups. And Wordspace is already offering writing residencies. They are submission-based, and they provide writers with room and board for up to one month. To find out more, you can email info at wordspacestudios.com. Martha Grover is an author, poet, and artist who lives in Portland, Oregon, and is currently doing a residency here at Wordspace Studio. So as I just said in that ad, in case you didn't believe me, they really are, we really are doing residencies here. And I think Martha's the second. I think Lona was the first, unless I'm forgetting someone. I think, yeah, so I think you're the second. Uh, but she is the author of One More for the People and the End of My Career, a finalist for the 2017 Oregon Book Awards in Creative Nonfiction. Her work has also appeared in The Collagist, Volume 1 Brooklyn, and The Portland Mercury, among others. She's been publishing her zine, Somnambulist, since 2003, and she is currently working on a graphic memoir. When she's not writing, Martha makes zines and art, and she still sells real estate. Welcome, Martha. Thank you for having me, especially right before you're leaving to Paris. Well, Tomorrow, right? Yes. Well, thank you for coming <laughs> right before my trip to Paris. So it worked out. I mean, it was sort of a nightmare in a sense insofar as make, like, is there really time to do this? But then it's like, it was also perfect. It came together perfectly. Yay. And here we are. So Yay. yeah. And um, Martha and I have already been having lots of conversations offline. And it's a shame we should have been filming our other conversations. Mm, Actually, we'd yeah. already be halfway done because we covered a lot of ground. <laughs> we covered a lot of ground. And Naomi said... Yeah oh my God, you're going to love Martha. You're going to love Martha. And I was like, well, okay, cool. I will. And I think I do. Oh, that's great. I'm even good. Even though I like immediately took a nap right when you got here and then she was did. like really out of it. See, but you don't understand. <laughs> I took a nap as I also told you right before I came. And so I knew that we were saying right. eye to eye. And the only thing is I just did that radio interview while she was napping that I just mentioned. And so my only concern was that you would wake up and have a lot of resentment. Mm. <laughs> you know, it's no, like I was out like completely. out. All right. So okay. it was a good nap. All right. So all is well. Uh, before we go too far, I want to say that um, we, you, myself, whomever, Finn, Finn, my the pooch that I'm babysitting is outside. He was on camera. I had to move him at the last minute. This is his second week in a row being here. Uh, if you've got questions for Finn, feel free to um, <laughs> ask. You can see Finn on Instagram. He had the, the headset on. But I just want to say that we will take questions at the end if there are any questions. So. 
you might already have questions. You might have questions come up as we're talking, whatever the case, um, just keep them in mind. And they can be deep. They can be silly. We're really open. And I say we, but really, of course, it is primarily her. If you have a question <laughs> for me, but I'm here every week. She's not. So let's, um, we'll focus on her. Okay. Speaking of her and focusing on you, this morning you did an event. I mean, because you're doing your residency here, but you've got to keep your, you've got to earn your keep. Yes. And so they made you do, <laughs> Naomi made you do a <laughs> micro essay workshop. Yeah, it went really well. Okay. Um, that's the third or fourth time I've taught that class. Um, uh -huh. I'm very comfortable with... Public speaking, I, I started my writing career kind of in slam poetry. Uh -huh. And so that's like trial by fire, really. Yes, <laughs> yes. And I do storytelling and I read out, you know, do readings a lot. But teaching really stresses me out. Really? Yeah, really. I get real. I'm very perfectionistic about it, uh, you know, uh -huh. and like really want it to be good. Um, so I was really happy that um, that class, I've taught it three or four times. It's kind of a breeze for me now. And that we had such a great group of people. And it was like, everyone was like, oh, it was so much fun. So that was okay. really awesome. But you weren't dialing it in because you're oh, like, no. I've already done it three or four times. No, just, I'm not dialing it in. You're like, it's yeah. no big deal. No, no, no. You know, I, yeah. I just did it so I could stay here. I mean, is that what I'm hearing? <laughs> no, no, no. Is that no, what I'm hearing? No. Okay. <laughs> okay. All right. It was just like, I wasn't stressing about no, I get it. it. Yeah. I get it. Uh, and I'm sorry I couldn't join. I really would have mm -hmm. liked to have joined. But again, packing, preparing. Mm -hmm. Yes. Um, okay. So, but for those who don't already know. What is a micro essay? Well, if you look at micro essay, it like basically just means like small essay. <laughs> <laughs> I understand the Latin. Or short essay. <laughs> no, I'm familiar with the prefix. Can we yeah. go deeper? Can well, we go deeper? I, I don't yeah. know. I don't think there's like a standard definition. Okay. But um, so if you look at, I would say it's like under a thousand words. Okay. It, so like, but more around like 500 to 600 words. Yeah. Um, and it, and usually it's like, to compress meaning into that small of a space, you have to kind of be a little bit more lyrical, a little bit more poetic. And you, we did read a couple essays today that were stories front, you know, beginning to end, but it's very hard to tell a whole story beginning to end without using some kind of like poetic language or jumping in time, mm -hmm. um, in, you know, 600 words. Yes. So, um, I sent, we didn't get to read all the essays that I brought in for examples. So I sent them home with them as well, just to like get a wide range of like different things. And I feel like, um, looking, you know, we have the container of the story as writers, but we also have the container of like all these other things that we can tell a story inside of like a recipe or a list or instructions or a portrait or a I can't say the word ekphrasis or ek it's like when you look at it. I don't know of, the word. So you're ahead it, of me. It's like a literary form where you look at a piece of artwork and you, it inspires whatever you're writing about mm -hmm. okay. or a letter or so there's like all these different forms that we can use that are shorter forms that aren't poetry because really you come, it comes down to like poetry versus prose. So if it's not poetry, then it's prose yeah. and then there's all these other things that it could be. Right. 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 So, yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. And um, so someone coming to a micro essay workshop, though, are they basically just looking for ways to refine their storytelling to get to the point better to be more concise? And what's well, I, I don't know, but I feel like a lot of the feedback that I've gotten is kind of it's like a jump start for people mm -hmm. because um, it's not so like um, intimidating if it's only 500 words or uh, 600 it's words. It's sort of a good place to start. It's a good place to start. Right, right, right. And, um, and it kind of like 
gets them going again. And okay. Oh, I have an idea. And uh, both my books, especially the first book, but we're going to talk mostly about my second book, but my first book has a lot of really short pieces in it. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. so if you look at that, you can go, okay, I can make a whole book out of like very short pieces that are thematically the same. Yep. Yep. So. Okay. I love that. Uh, speaking of things that you have been drafted to do while you're here, you will yeah. also be doing a salon on April 12th at 7 p.m.? This Friday. This Friday. That is so this Friday April already, 12th. isn't it? Yes. Yeah. And so what's that going to be about? Um, so I'm going to do a reading of some published pieces and maybe like an unpublished piece that I've had on my computer for a while. But then I'm going to be doing kind of a, I think she called it a salon versus reading because even though I'm going to be doing a reading, it's going to be more of a presentation of the work in progress, which is the graphic memoir that I'm doing. Yep. And it's very like I'm at the very beginning stages of it. And right now I'm still trying to like find out what my visual voice is, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. And so I'm really excited to just to like be vulnerable, like the people that were in my class today, just like this is a rough draft. Yep. Like, I'm just showing you where it's at right now, yep. and this is where I see it going, and maybe getting some feedback from people, you know, like, no criticism. No but criticism. <laughs> constructive, just, just like loving constructive, feedback. Just, like, constructive, yeah, and, like, yep. this makes me think of this, or blah, blah, blah. Yep. But if somebody thinks it's bad, should they tell you? No. Okay. No. Okay, good. <laughs> um, okay, so I read, um, and, you know, I, I read your interviews, I read... Uh, end of my career mm-hmm. I was getting the titles mixed up mm-hmm. and I looked at Somnambulist a couple mm-hmm. of editions um, of that as well and it seems like most if not all of what you've done insofar as books has been memoir yes okay so why memoir why is that your focus well I've tried my hand at fiction and I'm not great at it <laughs> <laughs> good to know our strengths yeah I'm yeah. not super great at it um I have always been kind of drawn to uh, real life, quote unquote, unquote, writing, even if it is fiction. Um, I really like Steinbeck, you know. Um, I really like Mary Carr. Uh, Actually, the the have you read Mary Carr, The Liars Club? Mm -mm. Um, That was the first, like I think, legit memoir I ever read, and that was like, wow, that just like rocked my world. I was Mm -hmm. like, I could do this, yeah, because she's so literary and descriptive but it's a true story about Mm -hmm. her childhood and I had a crazy childhood in a lot of ways and so I thought oh I could write I could do something like this yeah so yeah yeah so you recognize right away yeah yeah and I think that um although some people like reading stories that are are fiction that's really cerebral um, that's the kind of stuff that I would end up writing and I don't like to read that kind of stuff. I just want a good story. Mm-hmm. But if it has, it's like, I don't really like Aesop's fables, mm-hmm. right? Like it has some kind of agenda, but that I felt was like what my fiction was, yep. which was like, this is the message. And it's like, I don't like reading that. So, so why would I write it? So why would I write it? Yeah. Yeah. Although sometimes it's, I don't really read much travel writing. And even though I don't write travel writing in the sense of, and again, this is something we were talking about yeah. beforehand, even though I don't. I don't write destination pieces. Mm-hmm. I don't write come with me on this trip, but my stories, particularly in the current book, and of course my Morocco book, I guess I do do that, even though mm. neither of those books I ever intended to write, which is why I kind of still feel weird about saying being a travel writer. But um, but I like writing it. I definitely like writing those stories. So I think sometimes there maybe can kind of be a disconnect. We can like to create something that's not necessarily something that we... Um, 
ingest? Well, or travel writing is a weird genre because unlike memoir, it's really specific. Yep. Because memoir could be travel writing, but True. travel writing, you know, vice versa, it's not, right. it doesn't work, you know? Which, um, yeah. yeah, like, I don't know what I'm trying to say. What are you trying to say? I don't know what I'm trying to say, but... Um, I'm memoirist, but it doesn't necessarily mean like, even though I write a lot about like medical trauma, it's not like I seek that out. Right, right. You know, I just want a good story. Yes. A true story. That's, I think, ultimately, yeah, yeah I'm there with you on that. Okay. Yeah. So that's a quick look at the word side of things. And we're naturally mm -hmm. going to come back to mm -hmm. that in much greater detail. But I'm also curious because you're also a visual artist, mm -hmm. which oftentimes those two don't necessarily go hand in hand. Certainly in mm -hmm. my case, it does not go hand in mm -hmm. hand. Uh, so can you just tell us a little bit about, and because both of your books incorporate visual art, mm -hmm. your zine incorporates visual art, obviously the graphic memoir, which we're going to talk about, yeah. that's a huge part of it. Right. So can you just tell us a little bit about um, when you began drawing and painting and have you always included the visual art with the writing? Yeah, it was very, like, it wasn't really intentional for a long time. Like, it was just something that I did because it was easier to do it myself than have someone do it mm -hmm. you know for my zine because i've yeah. been doing my zine since i was 23 um i'm 38 now so a long time yeah, yeah and it was just easier for me to do it myself and i was just like well i'm i'm not an artist so i'll just like do it and i don't care if it's shitty or not you know yeah um then when i got really sick with cushing's disease basically was like unemployed for a whole year and like really just trying to survive and i I just drew all day and mm. I really got a lot better uh -huh. and then it's been kind of like a process of like you know it's funny because um, a lot of the stuff that we do creatively is also part of our identity and so you know you get to a certain point on the guitar and you're like when do I consider myself a guitar player mm -hmm. you know and oh, that was how totally. art that was how art was for me it was like I've done shows people have paid me to do commissions I've done all this stuff but I'm still quote-unquote not an artist yeah and um, one of my best friends is a children's book illustrator her name is Kate Barabay and she went to school for art and was like a painter like a fine you know and she's like she she's had a bunch of books published she won a she won a um, um, Oregon Book Awards in children's literature and she finally just kind of like grabbed me by the shoulders and was like you're an artist mm -hmm, you know like mm -hmm. you don't need to like be like well it's not really my thing like yeah. she goes I have confidence that you can do this and well and you are doing it and I am you're, you're already doing That's it the thing right yeah. yeah and yeah. um I also met um we have a it's kind of like Lit Quake but it's called um used to be called Wordstock but I can't remember what it's called, but basically it's like a big literary festival in Portland. Yep, yep. And I got teamed up to read with a woman, uh, Amy Kurzweil, who's a graphic memoirist. And she also does like cartoons for The New Yorker. Like she's mm. legit, you know. And she That's said legit. to me, she's like, you could totally do that. You know, like you could totally do like a, an illustrated memoir or you could totally get an agent for your artwork and like stuff like that. Yep. And it just it's funny you need people in your life that like are like you're not being objective and right. I will like tell you that like you can do this you know no I so struggled with that before I actually published my book I had quit my job I had run off to another country I was holding myself up in this little house in the middle of nowhere in the Andalusian southern Spain countryside writing six to eight hours a day like really really writing just you know and but I still wasn't sure I was a writer right, right? because first yeah. of all how do we where's the official stamp right. the official certification right. secondly because i hadn't published my book mm -hmm. and i hadn't won any awards i mm -hmm. didn't go to school for this so but again 
I'm giving, I was dedicating my entire life to it, but I still wasn't convinced that I was right. Because what if it sucked? What if no one cared about it? What if, and even that doesn't really matter. Because the point that is. That doesn't even matter anyway. Right, yeah. right, right. Totally. But, and, you know, I like to think of myself as someone who doesn't need external validation insofar as my sense mm-hmm, of self and things. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, of course, we all do to some mm-hmm, degree. Mm-hmm. But what I realized is in this realm of creativity, whether it's visual, the words, whatever, we do need a little more valid, or at least I need much more validation. And it doesn't have to be that someone's saying it's good. It doesn't have to be it's, but it's more just basically what your friend said mm-hmm. and what we just had in this conversation. Mm-hmm. No, you're doing this. You are yeah. it, you know? Right. And the other day I said something to a friend about, you know, when I get there or something like that, referencing, like, I'm still trying to get there, wherever there is. And she's like, Matthew, you're already there. Stop. Right. <laughs> I was like, oh, Okay. I guess I'll feel better when when the rent is being paid from being there, but uh, which is also another part of it. That's but a whole other issue. Yeah, a whole other issue, which we're going to yeah. touch on at the at the end. But but anyway, yeah, I think all of us who aren't experiencing over the top fame, so that it's just mm-hmm. in your face that you're a massive mm-hmm. success, right? And again, where's that that stamp? I guess if you get an MFA, that probably helps. But even, even then, because you have you an know, MFA, I have an MFA yeah, from yeah. CCA. But even yeah. then, you know. Um, a lot of people that get MFAs don't ever get a book published. Sure. You know? Right. So, right. so are they not still writers? I don't know. And how do you they know, feel? I think it just depends on if you identify as that, you know, that's what you are. Amen. Yeah. And here we are. Yeah. And we're identifying <laughs> as that. Okay. <laughs> so the reason I wanted to ask you a little bit about words and then a little about, mm. about the visual mm. is because you did bring them together mm. in your zine, which you started in 2003. However many years that's been, not going to do math on camera. doesn't matter how simple it is. Um, so that's a zine. And that's obviously, I, I know I heard the term. I've seen zines in some mm-hmm. of the you know indie bookstores mm-hmm. and stuff. But I didn't really know that much about them. So okay. can you just kind of, for those people yeah. who are watching or listening, yeah, probably heard the term but might, might not be that well versed in what they are. Can you give us a little overview? Sure. So zine, just I'll keep this super short. Yeah. So zine is short for magazine. Mm-hmm. Um, that's where the word zine comes from, Z-I-N-E. Um, also, kudos to you because you pronounce somnambulist right. Yeah. So many people do not pronounce that one. right, and they don't pronounce zine right either. They oh, they say zine? Ooh. Yeah. Ooh, I never even... So, but that. I mean, it's on me that I named my zine really a terrible name, yeah. but I'm, uh, well, I'm not changing... Well, it's a great name, though. It's actually, no, it's a great name, but it's a tricky one. It's tricky. My publishing company is Solificatio. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> and I just so. It's, so maybe we're not the best judge of that. No, <laughs> uh, I think we're kind of on the uh, on the same page there. So anyway, yeah. so continue. Zines, okay. not zines. Um, so they got their start in I think like the seventies or eighties, where people would do it was like the the primitive fan fiction. So people would do like Star Trek, you know, zines, you know, and it was just for fans. And it, this was like pre-internet, you know, so it was all about like nerds that were like really into some kind of niche thing yep. like punk music or feminism or, you know, anything you could think of that had a niche market and that wasn't being represented in the greater magazine. You And it was also the Xerox machine was like, oh, my God, you know, it's yeah. like the printing press. You yeah. Know? Yeah. Um, so anyone could do it. Um What's funny now is that now that there's the internet, it's like people are like death of the zine because mm-hmm. you can just have a blog, but it's like totally not like that. Like, okay, this is one of my questions. Yeah, like it used to be when I was in high school and there was like Sassy Magazine or Seventeen Magazine, they'd be like 
you, you know, make a zine, kids, you know, and it was like, it kind of, that was like where it crested, you yeah. know, and then the internet came When it's on. in Sassy Magazine, you yeah. know, it's cresting. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then, and then everyone was like, zines are dead. So now, but it's so funny because I've been doing this for almost 15 years and I, I've been to several zine fairs. There's zine fairs all over the world, like, you know, Dublin, Australia, Canada, everywhere. And I've been to a couple of them. I go to the Portland one every year, so that's where I live, but I've been to a couple other ones, LA and Chicago. Um, but there's a ton of people that love to do it because there's still people that are not being represented in mass media. Mm -hmm. There's more intimacy, not on the internet. Maybe you don't want your stuff on the internet. Maybe yeah. it's so personal. You don't even want to put it on the internet yep. and you only want to print 50 copies and whoever buys them or you give them away, that's it. Yep. Right. Yep. So it's personal expression. It's lack of representation. Um, but it's funny because every like year there's like an article that comes out in like, you know, Huffington post or whatever. That's like, zines are making a comeback and it's like <laughs> zines have been making a comeback for like 20 years so but it's an amazing story yeah so <laughs> right, they're just gonna right. keep making yeah, the comebacks clicks. yeah it's like oh yeah those things but i mean the whole notion of you know online versus hard mm -hmm. copy uh reminds me of the whole i mean ebook versus ebook's gonna kill everything right we're not gonna have any print books because ebooks right. have arrived and who needs a real book and of course what we found is that ebooks the last time i saw a statistic which which is harder for me to say than somnambulist, mm. by the way, <laughs> um, was a couple of years ago or something. But it was like the ebook sales had plateaued at something like 30 percent mm. because we still like to have the tangible experience. Mm. We still like to hold something. We are, right. We're looking at screens all day, even if you don't work yeah. you know, in an office job. I mean, That's they're so, so ubiquitous. And yeah. so we still like to have that tactile experience. Yeah. And, and the beauty of the book, the, bo the beauty of the book itself, yeah. the creation itself. Right. And um, so I assume that that probably plays a role there. Totally. As well and with the whole zine there's thing. also like people want to have a special experience. That's why like you go to a show that's a house show where there's only 20 people there and it's a band you've never heard of because you want to have that experience where it's not like open to everyone. It's the like intimacy. You only you were the yeah. yeah, you were the one that had that experience and it was individual. Yeah. You know, and that's something the inter Internet can't do because anyone can see any website at any time. Yes, they can. So, yes, yeah. they can. There yeah. are issues with with the online world. OK, <laughs> but let's talk specifically about about somnambulist sure. so you've been doing it all that we talked about you've been doing it for quite a while but but what I and you talked about how zines in general there's a niche that they're usually trying to address or yeah. underrepresentation. Mm -hmm. so what mm -hmm. were you trying to do with somnambulist well i don't think i really sleepwalkers? had sleepwalkers were you trying to help because <laughs> is that what it means is it somnambulist would be a sleepwalker yeah. Right? yeah and i think i just liked the word yeah i mean i was 23 so yeah. i didn't really put a lot of thought into it yeah um i'm the kind of person that doesn't really do a lot of pre-thinking overthinking pre-thinking i like I, that yeah pre-thinking <laughs> uh -huh. overthinking yeah. i just kind of jump Micro -thinking? in yeah Micro -thinking? yeah <laughs> i just like jump in and that's really what i did because I was doing slam poetry and I got really sick of that and I was just like, oh, I hate this, but what is my next outlet? I was out of college. I graduated um, and I actually had a have a friend, still my friend, Ladina, who said, why don't you do a zine? And I didn't know anything about it. Yep. And um, one of the biggest distributors at the time, because there's these things called distros, that they're like anything, like a wine distributor or a cheese distributor, well, they'll like take from small farms and small vineyards and then they'll take it to a bookstore for yep. you. Yeah. Um, so one of the big ones at the time was Microcosm and they accepted my first um, uh, zine. First zine, edition, yeah, my first, first issue. Edition, yeah, issue yeah. And um, I think it's like back to that thing where you like just need one person to say, this isn't bad. Mm -hmm. You know, we'll take this. Yeah, we can actually uh, sell this. We can actually sell this. And uh, you're a good writer. 
And so that kind of just got me hooked. And then you get letters from people all over the world. Like I write, I don't get any letters anymore because people don't write letters anymore. They'll yeah. email you. Yeah. Yeah. But um, yeah, it was just a thrill to be like, someone's reading my stuff. Mm-hmm. It's very, it's very addicting. Yeah. yeah, for sure. And so what subjects matter? Well, I just, the first scene I ever did, which I hope anyone that has a copy of it just burns it, <laughs> but was about all about things that I hated. Oh. And then I interviewed little my negativity. family and uh-huh. what was, what things were they, did they hate? Oh. You know? <laughs> so yeah. it became a family affair. Yes. And that's always kind of been my deals, like involving my family. family. Right. Yeah. And right. I have a lot of characters in my family and, you know. Um, so it's always been memoir, but I've had a lot of illustrators that have contributed. I've had a lot of people that have done, um, you know, I've done interviews. I've had people, I've had done commissions. Like one of the ones I did a couple of issues ago was on the theme of stuck because I was talking to a friend and they were like talking about how almost everyone has had something stuck up their nose that they stuck up their nose when they were a kid. (laughs) And Uh then also just the idea of like getting your body parts stuck in something and then being in a metaphorical sense, like stuck in a bad job, stuck in a bad relationship. So I only did the artwork. I didn't do any of the writing, but it was like short stories about on the theme of stuck. Mm -hmm. So what I like about it is that like anything I can come up with, I can just do it. You can do it. Right. Yeah. I can just do it. Yeah. So are you working on an issue currently? Um, my next issue. So my last issue was, um, again, only did the illustrations, but my mom, um, it's called Dear Mayor Wheeler, and it's uh, my mom's a homeless advocate mm. for homeless mm-hmm. people, mm-hmm. and she wrote a bunch of letters to the mayor about his mayor of Portland, um, and uh, he never responded, mm. and sh- they're really great letters, so mm-hmm. I thought, we should publish these. Yeah. So, because, this is a kind of a long-winded answer, but because I'm really challenging myself with this graphic memoir, I was like, why don't I just do something really easy? Yeah. Like, that was easy. Wasn't I didn't even write it. I just put it in my mom's <laughs> letters. Uh-huh. Um, this one I'm gonna do how to clean your house. Yeah. But I'm thinking about maybe changing it a little bit and calling it I was thinking about call, calling it how to clean your fucking house. Uh-huh. And then I thought <laughs> maybe I should be more specific and be like how to clean your house and get laid. Because oh, I think a lot sure. of guys don't clean their house, mm. like hetero guys. Yeah. They don't clean their house and it's like freaking disgusting. It gets in the Is way. it okay if I swear? Well, as long as my mom's not listening, okay. which she does sometimes and sometimes doesn't. So okay. I don't know. She hasn't she hasn't said anything yet. Okay. So, mom, if you're listening after the fact, just fast forward. Okay. If you're listening as a podcast. I'm only saying this because I'm, I've been disgusted by the condition of some men's houses that sure. I've been in. I understand. So I don't know how much time I want to spend on that. But I was a house cleaner for many years, yes, which you, you know because yes. you've read my book. Yes. And um, a lot of people don't know how to clean their house in yeah. like a really efficient way. And you could help. And it was it's like low line. It's like low hanging fruit. <laughs> Like, it'd be very easy to write about that. And I don't need to make everything like a huge challenge all the time and just do something easy. I can just like, and it's like a public service. It's a public service. Practically. (laughs) Right. So many straight women would be so just grateful. You'd be getting your house. You would be getting so much fan mail, even more than you're already getting. (laughs) I see potential for this issue. Okay. So speaking of house cleaning, uh, you talk about you. I think you might have started off again. I can't remember, but it feels like it was. No, I think you were first a cheese seller, then you were the house cleaner in the book. Is yes. that the right order? Okay. Yes, but the first essay in the book is about clean houses. Okay, all yeah. right. I knew it was very early on. Yeah. And so the book that I'm talking about is her uh, The End of My Career, which is her most recent book. And as I also mentioned, she's, already, she's published prior to that, One More for the People. But, um, okay, so we just kind of touched on that. But besides house cleaning, uh, can you give people just a quick idea of what The End of My Career is about? 
Um, the end of my career is kind of a follow-up to the first book, but it's um, how I'm living with this chronic illness mm -hmm. that I basically got after I had an acute illness, which mm -hmm. was like acute is going to kill you. Chronic is something that's not going to kill you right. necessarily. Right? right. Right. So the chronic illness I have is Addison's disease. I don't have any adrenal glands. So this it's called the end of my career because a lot of the essays are about my work life and how I'm balancing my health problems with my work life and like different interesting stories. I talk about being a private investigator. I talk about selling cheese. I talk about, um, uh, house cleaning, and then I also have a lot of essays about my dating life as well, yes. um, and internet dating and different relationships that I've had, and also like how technology influences those, the internet, dating sites, and also like social media and stuff like that. So, so as you can tell, the book covers a lot. Yes, <laughs> and I mean, and it yeah. does, and it, but it does in a way that's completely cohesive. Good, um, at least for me. Good, which whether or not that's that. a good judge yeah. or not, I don't know. Um, but I but I did think so. And it's very entertaining. And, you know, you just mentioned a lot of very serious topics, health, mm -hmm. um, work. And then you talk about class and family mm -hmm. d disability. Um, but you do it with a lot of humor as well, mm -hmm. which um, which we're going to talk about. So mm -hmm. um, let's just just because we're still talking about how because you just mentioned house cleaning. I'm mm -hmm. just curious. One thing you said about house cleaning that I appreciate in this book is that it was the best job you ever had. And you, you would still be doing it if you could. Yes. I don't know if you still feel that way. Yes, I do okay, feel so that way. Okay, so why do you why do you feel that way? Well, I can't do it anymore because one, I would have to work a lot harder to make a living doing it, and basically health reasons. Yep. You know, um, I was my own boss. You know, so I made pretty good money doing it, but I can't really physically do that anymore. Um, it was the best job I ever had because I think that like so many times when you have a job that you work for someone else or something that's not finite, you go in. You work, but you don't feel like you accomplish anything. Mm -hmm. And there's something to be said for feeling like you've accomplished something. Yes. You go into a mess, you clean it up. Yeah. And then you know, and people would say, you're a miracle worker. Oh, my God. The straight man who gets laid. <laughs> in particular. <laughs> yeah, right? right. Well, the first he essay, is right? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like, yeah. case in point, right. you know. Right. <laughs> the, the essay in my book, you know, he's like this bachelor. And it was like, seriously, it wasn't like... Because I've been in houses before where it's like, oh, my God, like there's rotting food and like it's disgusting. Yeah. But there was just there's just like crap everywhere. Yeah. And he didn't seem to be able to manage his life in any way. Yeah. And then, you know, I won't spoil it, but basically like I'm helping him out in a yeah. good w in a big way. And he I because I never met him. That's the weird thing about house cleaning is yeah. that you go into someone's house and you don't really know them, but you kind of know them in this weird way because you're in their space. And I was never snooping. Like, yeah, but it no, just, but it's just there. It's just there, right. you know? And it's this yeah. weird, you're in there, you're intimately in their space. Exactly. Even, again, yeah. without knowing them. Right. Which is yeah. fascinating. Yeah. Okay, so you just mentioned, uh, you mentioned a couple times, mm -hmm. so you had Cushing's yes. syndrome, which yeah. is too much cortisol. Right. And then instead you... you Got Addison's after you had your adrenal glands right. removed? Right, so adre getting my adrenalectomy, getting both my adrenal glands taken out, gave me Addison's mm -hmm. disease. Did you know that ahead of time? Is that just yeah, how it I works? Yeah, I knew that. Yeah, that so usually people are cured from Cushing's because they have pituitary surgeries that mm -hmm. take the tumor out that causes Cushing's. But I had those surgeries twice, which I talk about in my first book, and they didn't work. 
So mm. my uh, I had some different options, and I chose to get my adrenals out. I, I was on a, just some drug studies that were experimental drug studies for a year. Yep. And I just was getting sicker and sicker. And like Stan I even went down to Stanford when I was living here. And they wanted to put me on another experimental drug. And I kind of had just had it. And I was just like, I'm ready to just like move on with my life. Um, it's one of those situations where you're always kind of like, did I make the right decision? But it doesn't really matter because it's made. Right. So there's no point. There's in no like going back. No going back. Because yeah. now I have a lot of other like chronic issues. But I can tell you that. I'm the healthiest I've been in, you know, 15 or 20 years awesome. now. I wish I had a, a yeah. glass of champagne to cheer that. Yeah. Awesome. So Glad to it's, hear it. It's interesting because, you know, getting around 40, people are like, oh, I'm starting to age. And I'm like, I feel like the best I felt, yeah. is, you know, yeah. like I was ever almost since, dying yeah. in my late 20s. Right. So like now right. I'm feeling better than ever. So yeah. it's kind of a weird thing. So is it so when you talk about um, Cushing's in particular, I guess I guess both. Mm -hmm. um, you, you do go into a lot of detail, right? So you talk about some of the physiological things mm. that you endure. And as someone, as again, we were talking about beforehand, as someone who's just written a book about bathrooms, <laughs> yeah. um, I could relate to some of your shit talk because there's quite a fair amount of it. Yeah. But, but, uh, but just like me, I thought you always did so in a way that's humorous and not mm. graphic, even if mm. you're, you know, we tell it like it is, right. hopefully in a way that's not, yeah. again, not doing it yeah. to disgust, but also not pretending like it's not part of what's well, going on. Well, it's like on. that book that was like a big seller. It's like everybody poops. You know, everybody know. poops. So I don't understand people that are like, oh, I hate going to the grocery store and buying toilet paper. It's so embarrassing. It's like, why? I don't understand that either. <laughs> Clearly, everybody poops. We're not. Yeah. <laughs> I know. And that book comes up every time I do, like when I'm searching on Amazon to see how sales are oh, or whatever. Oh, the children's book does? The children's book, but there's another one that's that one comes up sometimes. But there's one that we poop 450 pounds a month or something. That's the name book. of the book. Yes, something like that, or 4,500 a, a year pounds. I mean, it's some ridiculous. I'm sorry, listeners and viewers. <laughs> not going to go any further with that. But but the the, the reason I was that's bringing that up title. though, yeah. in all yeah. seriousness, is um, is is it why did you want to share that kind of stuff? Is it hard to share some of this? Cause it's really personal stuff mm -hmm. and it could be mm -hmm. embarrassing stuff. We don't mm -hmm. normally like to talk like, cause even with my book, which is mostly funny, mm -hmm. I did. And I talked about this last week to some, you know, some degree, um, because I just did a stage show based on mm -hmm. my book and in the process for doing that and getting ready to get up in front of a bunch of people and talk about some of the stuff that I've already written about, you know, I did have to ask my question again, like I said last week, sorry, people who are watching and listening, you know, am I sharing too much? Mm. But then I came around to the fact that I felt I just had to get over it. And I felt like it served the story. It served my art. And I don't regret it. But there were moments where I did question it. Well, I think that am I sharing too much is a question you can ask yourself for yourself. But not so much am I sharing too much to make this hypothetical audience member mm -hmm. uncomfortable. Because... Mm -hmm. There's always going to be people that don't like your work. Right. No, you can't. Whatever you do, right, there's right. going to be people that don't like your work. Right. And think that, you know, you're oversharing or whatever. So. And I was asking just, more from your perspective. Yeah. Less on worrying about, but more just yeah. on like how much am I comfortable sharing with the world at large, whether they like it or not. Yeah. So the question is like, do I ever ask myself if I'm yeah. sharing too much? Yeah. No. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> because I share what I'm comfortable sharing. Yeah. yeah. And if I'm not like, there's the scene in the book, um, the, the title essay is The End of My Career, and it's about me being a private investigator for workers' comp claims. Um, so basically, I'm, I'm employed by the insurance companies, and I'm investigating people that have made workers' comp claims. At the same time that's going on, 
just, you know, it was the worst job I've ever had in my life. And it gave me so much stress. I had chronic diarrhea the entire time yeah. that I had the job. Yeah, yeah. So I was so stressed out. Yeah. But at the same time, I was going up against a um, uh, federal disability claim that I had because I was so sick I wasn't able to work for a couple years. And I had to go and tell, quote unquote, my story in front of a judge. Mm -hmm. And that's way different than telling poop jokes. Yes. Because if I'm just telling poop jokes, it's like I give people the opportunity to make something that's like hard lighthearted and like funny but if i'm telling a judge just like will you give me this money and somehow validate me and redeem somehow redeem with money mm -hmm. this time in my life that i was not like a productive citizen it's right. this whole level of like trauma and that was terrible that was like i almost didn't do it which is crazy when you think about it. like you have the chance to like get some federal money for being disabled and you this the idea of telling your story is so frightening to you as a memoirist yep. even that you right. don't even want to go to the appointment i mean I, that's crazy and i would like to read a quote yeah, from sure. that section yeah, this yeah. is this is uh the next thing i had this on page 123 of your book you said quote there's this thing that happens when you're sick people don't believe you i can't tell you how many times i have faced disbelief dismissal and downright contempt from people who don't want to believe that the seeming and this is a variation on what mm, you were talking about mm. but this really stood out for me uh, downright contempt from people who don't want to believe that the seeming this seemingly healthy person in front of them is actually incapable of holding down a full-time job right so right yeah it's exactly it's like it's it's not the same but there's the analogy to like survivors of any kind of abuse that's right. like you you've just like well what were you wearing or like what did you say and having or, to prove yeah having to prove this like burden of proof on you all the time and that's why you know i would encourage you if you're at all interested to read my book because that's what i was up against with these people that were being doubted that they hurt themselves on the job right you know it was such a mind right it was so ironic that that was all going on at the same time in yes. my life you yeah. know yeah quite so, the dichotomy yes there. for sure so another thing that you talk about in a way that i really appreciated and is serious but funny but also again like with with the poop um <laughs> Just sort of matter of fact. Yeah. And because it is just part of our experience and it's mm -hmm. universal, mm -hmm. which is the sex and the relationships. Mm -hmm. But particularly mm -hmm. the sex, I just really appreciated how so often the sex is just mediocre. Mm -hmm. Right? You're not trying mm -hmm. to, every scene mm -hmm. is not some hot sex scene. You're just mm -hmm. being very frank and in a way that so often is not how sex is portrayed. And I mean, sometimes the sex is good, sometimes it's great, but sometimes it's just kind of okay. Or sometimes right. you're questioning why did I even have sex with that guy? Right. Like really what's going on? Right. So can you tell me a little bit more about how that fits in? Well, I think, you know, something when I was writing my first book, um, there's this whole, I had this whole long essay about um, growing up in the country and how great my childhood was and blah, blah, blah. And how with these woods, well, the end of the essay, my parents didn't have any money. So they cut all the trees down. Oh no. So my editor and publisher, well, he's not, he wasn't, he was my editor and publisher. We had other editors anyway. He said, we're cutting that whole thing. Except the last paragraph about the cutting down the trees. And I was like, what? And he goes, no one cares about your happy childhood. <laughs> uh -huh. and it's like uh -huh. unless you're like telling the story where like the good sex is like a part of a love story but i'm not telling the really love stories right in right. this book so it's like it's not interesting like it wouldn't be interesting to just be like and then i had some like hot sex with this guy it was great you know it's like no i'm having like a lot of like not so great sex right and that's kind of the point of the whole story yeah yeah so yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. 
Yeah, so that and makes, people don't talk a lot enough about that. I think. Well, that's why it's I'm, like that's awkward. Why I'm calling it out. Yeah, exactly. That's why I'm calling like, it out. It's like yeah. awkward. Like people have like awkward sex or like not like gross sex or like you know whatever. And it's interesting to me. You know, because it's the same thing. It, like, helps people, like, go, oh, I'm not alone. I'm not the only person that isn't having, like, mind-blowing sex all the time, you well, know? again, it's real. Mm-hmm. And I just read an article yeah. last week, two weeks ago, something in the UK Guardian about how, I think, 20-somethings, I don't, I'm not going to get the exact statistics I right. I saw that. How they're yeah. having the least amount of sex ever for their age group or something men. like that. That's why I thought the, that's yeah. why they had the idea of like get laid, clean your house or yeah. clean your house, get laid. Cause like, you saw the marketing opportunity. Yeah, I was like, Oh yeah. yeah. Clean yeah. your house. Maybe right. that will help. Yeah. But one of the things in that article then, I don't know mm-hmm. if you'll remember this part was that they were postulating, um, that it's because, and of course porn, porn gets blamed a lot and there's debate whether porn is actually the problem or not. But in this point or in this point that they made in the article, it made sense to me, which was this idea which goes directly mm-hmm. to what we're just talking about here, that because particularly the youngsters who have grown up with this, this is their I, their sexuality is grown informed so porn. much with the oh, screen, okay. with yeah. the porn, right? That everything is so quote unquote perfect. Mm. And that's not how it is in real life. Mm-hmm. So when something happens in real life, which inevitably is probably 60 seconds into their experience, that's mm. not picture perfect and not just going mm. smoothly with no then it's a turnoff or they feel insecure or mm. and that so there's this again there's still well i think as a woman okay i have a couple of points to make i don't know yeah. if you read the same article because okay. the article i read didn't mention porn at all okay uh-huh. but it talked about how people are getting into couples later in life so that they're, I saw therefore one of those they're as not well. yep. they're not having as much regular sex because yes. they're not they're single different article yeah. i saw that one too and then yeah. also like people don't have a lot of money and they're living with their parents and it's hard to have sex with people when you're living with your parents blah yep. blah blah yep. um but i did so the article I read, I was like, well, porn's a factor. I don't think there's just like one factor why people are having less sex. Yep. But I do think as a woman, as a heterosexual woman, you know, watching porn, it's like very male oriented. Mm-hmm. And so I may be aroused by it, but it's not like my ideal sex at all. Even the way it's shot, everything is like not so much a turn on for me. Uh, but I but I can see from a man's point of view yeah, that would be super intimidating. I mean, everyone's got an enormous penis. They can, like, last forever. Right. The women are like, oh, my God. Oh, my God. You're amazing. You know? <laughs> You're amazing. You know? And it's like, uh-huh. that would, that's just, like, not regular. The bar is that's very the high. That's the bar. You know, for guys. You know, but for me, I'm like, well, it's not really what turns me on the most. But, like, it does the job. You know, like, whatever. Uh, but I also am just like, I don't need to see that, like, angle like that doesn't do anything for me (laughs) right right yeah so yeah it's but i do think that that's like a factor for sure and it's i i think there's just like a lot of a lot of pressure put on men and what they i think maybe what they need to do is talk to more women and find out what women don't give a shit about a lot of that stuff that might be what turns you on but like women so you can right. have and good sex and not be a porn star, right? You know? Right, and if they had the conversations, yeah. and understood what their partner, yeah, is actually totally. into, that's like, oh, yeah, I don't have to maintain my erection for an hour or two hours right. or five, right. whatever it is in the yeah. last, yeah. But I also think there's this interesting thing that's happening in society now with the advent of like sex bots and porn, and um, a lot of people are saying that they're lonely, you know. But I do think that like if more people wanted to be in relationships and having you know, you know, in real life sex with actual real people, um, <laughs> they would be doing it. Uh, and uh-huh. maybe some of these people are not like lonely and, you know, incels. 
<laughs> maybe they're just they're okay with their life not having sex. Yeah. Yeah. Because if they really want, I mean, I kind of feel like if you really want it, go out and do it. Mm hmm. But so I think you make a really good point. That's the other thing. We're operating, again, at this sort of macro level here at the assumption that everyone should be wanting to have sex all the time. Right. Which isn't necessarily the case. Isn't necessarily the case. I mean, right. it's I going on dates and like meeting people and finding someone you like enough to have sex with is a drag. <laughs> okay, so let's I talk. I can see why people don't want right, to do that. Right. And so they're just satisfied with whacking off, you know. Right. So I get that. <laughs> Thank God for whacking off. Okay. I'm going to read a quote along those lines sure. that you said in an interview in uh, 11pdx.com. And this was a couple years ago. Quote, I've had actual relationships from people I've met on OkCupid. And then this funny thing happened after my last relationship ended. I decided to go back online, but take it really slow and see how things progress. I've had the worst dating year of my life from that. Laughs. So thoughts on that? <laughs> How's it? What yeah. are your current thoughts on that? Because again, <laughs> and the only reason I'm asking is because this is a big part of what's in the yeah, memoirs, right? Right. This is so that was the the year that was like what made it into the book. Yeah. And it's funny because I did think about what am I going to talk about on this interview is that I'm still dating, internet dating. Uh -huh. And I, you know, I was in like a six month, I think, relationship about a year ago. And then I'm going on dates or whatever. And I feel like I've already written about it. And uh -huh. it's like, so I don't. I, it's almost more demoralizing because I'm like, I can't even write about it because we're like written about it. It's like, I'm, it's the same day over. So I feel like I'm kind of like Groundhog yeah. Day. It's like the same yeah. day over and over again. But what's interesting about the book, you know, and in my career, and, and I do think that it's interesting and what was happening is kind of this awakening in me of, I've always considered myself a feminist, but it was like things kind of were coming to a head in my life. And some of the stuff I actually had to take out of the book was the more personal stuff about my sister's divorce. Mm. So it's the beginning, um, the, uh, the, the women's studies major, mm -hmm. that essay. Mm -hmm. So my sister, my older sister. Wait, got a, I'm sorry. Yeah. I know what that is. Can yeah. you just tell? So uh, I dated a man who was a women's studies major. Best he guy ever. Best guy, right. Like on paper, on I was like, oh, women's studies major is so woke, you know. Right. Of course, every guy I told was like, was like, what? He's just probably a psycho. Stay right, away from right, him. And right. I was like, what are you saying? No, that like, so wait, No, you know, I was just like. We really connect. Yeah. Uh -huh. And they were all like, warning, run, warning, run, run you know. Yeah. Um, he turned out, of course, I got really high one night and Googled him and got paranoid, you know, and was like, I should Google him and Googled him. Right. Turns out he had a history of domestic violence and it, and, uh, finding that out when you're incredibly high out of your mind, like bad I was way too stoned. Bad combination. And I kind of had a freak out, didn't sleep for 24 hours. Um, <laughs> called a lot of friends and your called mom. a lot of friends like, um, but what the same time, and I do talk about it in that essay, that was going on. I took some of the stuff out of there, um, but my sister went through a divorce and her 20 year marriage ended right around the time that I met this person. He had the same name as my ex-brother-in-law, which was so weird. Like first and last. Not last, Just but first, first name. Still enough yeah, first to name, be yeah. weird. Yeah. And it's not like a common name. Okay. So that was a little weird. Yeah. Um, and we didn't understand how that that marriage was very abusive. Uh -huh. And so I was, get, as my sister was going to counseling and getting educated on abuse, I was also getting educated on stuff like emotional labor, pattern, how patriarchy and sexism and, you know, abuse all kind of like intersect, you know? Yeah. And it's funny because just like two or three weeks ago, I went on a date with a guy who I was like, oh, I know who you are. Like, it's like that show. I've been watching the OA. Have you ever watched the OA? I don't know the OA. Okay, well, basically... 
the theory it's like a very it's like a fantastical it's a Netflix show yeah very fantastical and it's like people there's different dimensions and like you're if you're not connected with someone in this dimension you're never going to be able to escape them so and Ooh. I just I really felt like the universe is sending me this person that I met before mm-hmm. because he was a total abuser yeah he said things that I almost felt like verbatim had come out of my ex-brother-in-law's mouth uh-huh. it's like why do schizophrenics all have the same delusion that the the government put a chip in their head. Right. Like, why do they all think they're Jesus? Like, what is there are it certain about? Commonalities, There's right, commonalities right. with like this disease almost. Mm-hmm. And it's the same with men who are abusive. Yeah. Where it's like, you know, the guy said to me, um, well, women just love to ruin men's reputations and drag them Ooh. through the mud. <laughs> That's Uh-oh. what he said to Uh-oh. me. I hope you were in a public place. <laughs> yeah, we were. Yeah. I was like, check, please. <laughs> yeah. And then um, also he said, well, what do you have to give a man? Oh, and I wanted oh, no. to be like, I wanted to be oh, like, no. I didn't know what to say. I should have said like big titties and a fat ass. Like, That's what, what do you, you want me said. to say? Or you could have said, actually, what I have is this red flag that I found <laughs> yeah. underneath yeah. my chair. A big red flag. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Look that way. Yeah. And run. He also wow. said he was his ex-wife. He didn't have enough influence on his children and she wouldn't let them s- let him see them as much as he wanted because he didn't have influence on them and she was turning them gay. But you know what's mind boggling? Oh, God, no. Like, yeah. But you know what's really mind boggling is that people like that don't realize they shouldn't be saying those things. To me, that's even right. because it's bad enough that they do think those things, right? Or and they're asked those questions and that. The, but to even not have the filter to realize, well, I should, probably shouldn't let her know these things. Well, this is something that I will never ever quote Doctor Phil except in this <laughs> moment. Uh-huh. But he did. A thing. I'm glad I'm know. the one getting this on film and audio. <laughs> Go he ahead did, with Doctor Phil even quote. Know why I was watching it? But this it is her favorite Doctor <laughs> Phil quote of many. She was quoting him before we went on air. Yes. What's your favorite Dr. Phil quote? It was like happenstance. Like the TV was on. He was talking about those internet scammers from like Nigeria. It wasn't your fault. I think is what I just heard you say. It wasn't my fault. It was just on. Right. Um, But he was talking about the the scammers from like Nigeria. Like I'm a Nigerian prince and all this stuff. And it's like, who would believe that? Yes. But they make it that in the bad spelling and everything. They do it because if you're going to fall for that, you'll fall for anything. Uh, And I feel like abusers do the same thing where uh it's not like they're like, oh, I shouldn't say this because she'll think blah, blah, blah. They're like, she's going to see me as the victim. If she's going to take my side, even though there's no evidence, then I got her. Uh, it's almost it's a test. It's like it's a litmus a test. test. Oh, totally. Interesting. Totally. Oh. The whole I'm the victim. My ex was like terrible. That's y- like You know what disturbs me then is they're, it sounds like they're smarter than I am because I, <laughs> I didn't realize they were doing it on purpose. Oh, God. Well, I mean, if you read my book, too, it's like I went on several days. With, I mean, I was dating this person for like, you know, like for two or three weeks. Yeah, you but know? he wasn't that explicitly. I, I mean, that no, I remember but our first date. You had to go find him online to find out he was like violent. But our first date, he was like, I was tricked into being married and I'm a PT- I have PTSD. He did tell I'm you about blah, the PTSD. Blah, 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 blah. Right. I mean, but he was like, what was me? Get out my violin like right. on the first date, you know, right. like. And now I'm, there were signs, I, there were signs. And at the time I was like, oh, you know, but now I'm like this last guy I wanted there. I was like, you're pathetic. See, because that's now pathetic. you know the signs, though. Now I know the signs. And right. this is a whole other conversation. But that's the other thing is sometimes people who get their first Nigerian scammer email. Right. Yeah. I, exactly. I mean, that's the other thing. Right. Sometimes we have to be gentle with ourselves, too. We totally. can't. If yeah. you haven't been in an abusive situation or know someone right. immediately, you might not know the signs. You might not. And you oh, might just totally. feel compassion for the person. No. And I don't mean to say that, like, 
people that are in abusive situations aren't like smart enough. Well, whatever, then why did you say like, that? <laughs> Kidding. Kidding. You didn't say but that. Don't like, worry. It took yeah. me a long time to like, and it was partly my sister, part of my own experiences to like now know that like there's definitely signs because, you know, like our as women, as heterosexual women, we are basically trained in the patriarchy. And so, of course, we're like sitting ducks in a lot of ways. So. Right. Right. Okay, we could go on and on about this oh, because yeah. it's obviously a really yeah. important one. Um, thank you for that. But I also, it's already 7 o'clock. We've already been talking for an hour. So we're just going to mm. go considerably over today. Okay, because sure. I, have, I, yeah. I have too many have to asks because okay. I always have some things that I know I might have to skip over the interest mm -hmm. of time. But there's still too much. So sure. people listening and watching, you're just going to have to bear with us. <laughs> um, because I want to know just a little bit. I'm always interested in in process. And I know mm -hmm. it's a really big topic. And it's a, I'm just going to throw it out there as sort of a wide open question. Yeah. Um, and we are going to talk specifically about your graphic novel but so, or graphic memoir. Yeah. So I'm really talking more not specific to your current, just in general, particularly given that you use words and images and bring them together. Mm hmm how do you and maybe maybe you want to focus on 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 the last book however you want to approach it just some um, some insight into your process well um you know i did go to grad school yep and i have a lot of um kind of i bristle at like prescriptive like this is what you should do yep. and da, 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 da. um i had a teacher that was like you must be writing three hours a day and i was like what's so special about three mm -hmm. hours yep. like it's just yep. so arbitrary or know? even every day there's or this even idea. Every day, right. You exactly. hear that? I actually, yeah. sorry, I, I Googled or looked on a search engine about that last for my last episode because, or no, two episodes ago, I had author Nona Caspers on and I was going to, we were talking about her process and I looked ahead of time and I was specifically, because I saw that she doesn't write every day. Mm. And her book, if you haven't read her most recent book, which title I won't remember off the top of my the head, fifth I can woman? see it. The Fifth Woman. Thank yeah. you. I can see the blue cover and yeah. the like rain. Exquisite book. And so when I was reading about her process and to see that she doesn't write every day, I thought, okay, if she doesn't write every day, then none of us have to write every day. <laughs> but I Googled just out of curiosity. Yeah. And I don't actually use Google. I, mm -hmm. Whatever I used. And just this list of writing every day, how to keep writing every day. Da, da, da. So there's this sort of common, um, yeah. what's the term? Common. I don't know. Ethos. Wisdom or, or whatever. Wisdom, whatever. whatever. Yeah. That we're supposed yeah. to be writing every day. Yeah. You know, you just keep at it, keep at it, keep some, at it. So I've had a lot of conversations about this. And, you know, my friend Anthony Alvarado, who's a who's a writer, is like, well, if I don't write every day, then I get out of the habit of doing it. Mm -hmm. So I think it's helpful for some people to stay in a routine. I personally don't feel like it. It really helps me. But I did go through a period of my life where I did write every day. And mm -hmm. I feel like if you train your brain to think like a writer, that is what it takes is like some kind of like building that muscle. Yep. And it was the same with drawing. Mm -hmm. I don't draw every day, but I went through a period of my life where I drew like three or four hours every day. And that helps you to learn how to do the craft. And so then you get it back on a bicycle. You know how to ride the bicycle, right? Yeah. Obviously, you're going to be better. You're going to get more speed. Warmed if you're up. Or warmed up right. or whatever if you're doing all the time. But like I just feel like those hard and fast rules are really – I'm – so basically though, back to like me personally where I'm at right now. Yeah. Um, I feel like it would be very easy for me to write another book of essays because I've done that twice now and I have a, I have some material that I could work into another book where I just think about something and then, you know, I have an eight hour day where I just bang out, bang it out and yep. it's, you know, not finished, but it's pretty much done. Yeah. The essay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but it's different with drawing because a lot of, you know, the conceptual stuff happens in your head and you're not really doing it. 
and then you're just digging ditches because you're just drawing the lines and doing the color and you can you can't listen to a podcast or watch a movie while you write a book of essays Mm -hmm. but with drawing (laughs) you can you can yeah and it's a totally it's like really throwing me for a loop i need to go into drawing yeah well i I mean you still have to like conceptualize (laughs) it yeah but then the actual dig ditch digging is just that it's just the labor of doing it yeah and and it's in a way, it's way more time consuming because yeah. it takes a lot of hours mm-hmm. to actually make it. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter if you're doing it on the computer or by hand. It's just like still labor intensive, still labor, very, very labor intensive. Yeah. And so that's something that's kind of like hitting me in the face like, oh, like everyone talks about how hard it is to write a novel. Try doing a f- fucking graphic <laughs> memoir. Like it's going to take me like <laughs> seven years. Uh-huh. It's so much work. Yeah. To make it good. Well, you if know, you're going to do it, you better do it right. Yeah, well, I that, mean, exactly. Yeah. Right? yeah. You, you've already set the bar <laughs> with the two previous books <laughs> and the zine. So yeah. I want to do something beautiful. That's what right. I want to do. Yes. Yeah. That's why we do this. Right. Whatever form that beauty might be. But we want right. it to be beautiful. I want it to be beautiful for sure. OK, so beautiful transition. Speaking mm-hmm. of beauty to the graphic memoir. Yeah. OK, so uh, it's called The Creationists. Mm-hmm. Is that I, for sure? Think, right. Working title. Sure, we'll call yeah. it the working title. Yeah. Um, so again, though, I'm just curious about graphic memoir. Mm-hmm. I looked on Wikipedia beforehand. Mm-hmm. Right. No reference to graphic memoir. Right. There were there were references to graphic novels because mm-hmm. that is now a, mm-hmm. a genre that we most of us know. Yeah. Graphic memoir is this a thing that's already out there, or is you just kind of bringing these two <coughs> things together? She just spilled. <laughs> she just spilled her hidden bottle of wine. <laughs> it's empty though. It's empty. The empty. Well, is I don't that, know if that's, that's better. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's There's okay. Can't drink it all already. Right. I told her she wasn't allowed to drink from the bottle on camera. Okay. Um. So, uh, it I maybe it just hasn't caught up quite yet, but it's yep. basically just a graphic novel that's a memoir. Right. Um. Have you heard of Fun Home? No. Okay. So that's uh. It's it's like funeral home. It's like the a memoir of this woman that grew up. Her parents ran a funeral home. Mm. They made it into a Broadway play. Oh. It's like I think it's Allison Bechtel. I may be wrong with that. Um. So that was a big one. Um. I've read a, I've read a lot of them, um, but basically, so yeah, it's there. the same yeah. idea. Yeah, yeah, it's they're out there. They're not quite as big as graphic novels, but they're starting to like because a lot of that I think is coming from the web comic. A lot of people do like web co- web comics where they'll do comics about their life or like daily comic. What I did this day mm. and it just like naturally goes into doing a full length memoir. That it becomes yeah 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 sort yeah. of like your zine. Exactly. Became the first book, right. largely. Right, exactly. Yeah. 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 Okay. All right. And um, I'm hesitating because I think we probably already answered this. I was going to ask you, uh, you know, um, what drew you to it, but I think you just kind of said, you know, that you had already done two traditional memoirs, not traditional, but. Yeah. Just, you know, books of memoirs. Yeah. yeah. And so it sounds like you just really kind of wanted to branch out, maybe give a little more emphasis on the visual part of your creativity. And Yes. Yeah. I wanted to challenge myself yeah. for sure because yeah. I wanted to do something different. I wanted to challenge myself. Um, and I also felt like the material that I had written that did either didn't make it into the last book or that I'd written since um, was so all over the place. Mm-hmm. And I kind of wanted to do something more experimental because I had done the essay thing and like a lot of the stuff that I've written since then 
it's more like prose poetry. It's like very weird. And it's those things that maybe I'll have to sit on for a while before they can come into a collection. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, and I just love drawing. Mm-hmm. Like it's something that is so satisfying for me that I was like, wow, can I do more of this in my life? Yeah. You know? So tell me if you can though, because it's still a memoir. Mm-hmm. It's a different format, different media. Mm-hmm. Um, how will the content be different or is it is it still really going to be the kind of the same similar themes because it's still your life and it's just different takes on them based on where you are today um it is going to be i would have to say it's going to be about my childhood i was homeschooled Mm. till i was in sixth grade Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and my mom was very religious at that time Mm. and um my dad went along with it more or less um and she believed that evolution was false and creationism was true. Uh-huh. Um, I actually have a 23-foot-long timeline that I bought just to do this project that we had as I, when I was a kid that was based on the Bible. So it was like it had all these different like patriarchs from the Bible that was like Noah. He lived 950 years. Like he was very old. It was like true, you know. Like, yeah. and the reason why I got this idea for this book was because of Trump. Because this whole thing about like fake news, you know. And how that's just fake, you know, like even though it's like just accredited, dismissive, yeah, just very dismissive. Right. And convenient. we're so polarized in our country right now. And I feel like people, sometimes you talk to them and they are living in an alternate reality. And I realized, oh, I grew up, grew in, up in that reality. reality. Or, yeah. I, yeah, yeah, I grew up in an alternate reality where right. it was like I was homeschooled. We live in the country that evolution's false, even though 90% of <laughs> Ninety-nine percent of everyone believes that they're wrong. Yep. There was the secular world. There was the Christian world. The us and them. And, the, and also, as a kid, it's like the known and the unknown. Mm-hmm. How do you know if something's true? How do you know if something's not true? And so, those kind of themes are what I'm working with in my okay. book right now. So, right. and um, and then my dad became an atheist when I was fifteen. Still so together with your mom. They're still together today. Yeah. Yeah. And so, I think this is going to be the riskiest material i've done that i'm gonna have to have consult with my parents not necessarily give their okay because they will never say that's not okay with me mm-hmm. they they just they've told me that like mm. you do whatever you want oh, we'll wow. give you shit the rest of your life for it yeah but we're never gonna tell you right. no right you know right. and so i do have to consult with them because it's not only about my spiritual journey it's about my mom's spiritual journey mm-hmm. and my dad's I don't know, non-spiritual journey, de-spiritual, <laughs> de-spiritualization. Yeah. Uh-huh. yeah. Uh-huh. And um, so it's about them as well. Yeah. So, so it's more like a heads up and sort of checking in and yeah, so they're not caught off guard. Would oh, you and like, is it accurate is too? It accurate sure. Yeah. To you? Yeah. It, um, do you want to put any input in it, into it? So, right. yeah. so that you're representing their yeah. experience yeah. more totally. or less. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so I want to say um, to those of you who are listening and or watching, actually, if um, Actually, it could only be those of you who are watching because <laughs> it's not on the podcast yet. Although if you're listening, it is now, but that doesn't matter because then you can't actually <laughs> DM in. Anyway, if you're on Facebook Live right now as we're live and you have any questions, I'm going to ask for them relatively shortly. So now would be the time to start queuing them up and sending them in. Uh, the last thing I want to ask about is very much off topic what we've already talked sure. about, except... I mean, there is a common theme, which is you and also creativity. And it's something that I'm really curious about and I've almost done myself. And so when I saw that you had that you were doing this, I knew that I wanted to ask you about this. So Patreon. So for people who don't know Patreon, Patreon, patron, Patreon, uh, it is a way it's sort of like Kickstarter sort of, but it's more subscription sort of model where if you have an artist or a podcaster or a writer or whomever doing anything creative, producing an online TV show or podcast, whatever it is. 
um, but that they don't have support. They're not at that stage in their evolution where they can get advertisers or where they've gotten grants or whatever it is. They need money. And they're doing something, they're producing something that you like. You can subscribe to them using Patreon. And so I've almost done that a couple times for this. Mm-hmm. As I told you before we went on there, I did not anticipate buying this lovely computer that you guys can't see, uh, but that I had no choice to buy if I was going to do this, which I found out you know, very sort of late in the game. Anyway, lots of expenses that people have no idea about that I didn't even anticipate. Never mind the book stuff. Mm-hmm. Never mind publishing the books. Never mind all the marketing money. I mean, there's so many costs that people who haven't done it have no idea, right? right. And so anyway, point being... Um, it is challenging today as a writer, artist, creator of any type to make a living and, and to get this income. So, or any kind of income. So Patreon is, is potentially a great way to do that. And one of the reasons I was interested is besides just general curiosity about your experience is I, um, uh, some of my friends on, on Facebook recently, someone posted a writer and asked about, you know, people's experience with Patreon and this really surprising conversation ensued mm. where a lot of people who I consider very progressive and who I would have thought would have been very much for this came out against it and yeah. saying, you know, it's just a way of, you know, people sort of it's a con and people should be able they should figure out other ways of getting money. This, why that and the was other. It, what did, can you tell me why they thought it was a con? <sighs> I think we would have to ask them. I'm trying to remember. I think just I think primarily it was just the concept. Now, interestingly, these people did not know much about it. Okay. So I think it was more of a knee jerk sort of reaction to this idea of someone not having to work and getting money coming towards them. Now, of course, my immediately responded. My understanding, Patreon, is the whole idea here is that it's an exchange. You are supporting someone because they are producing something that you deem valuable whether it's in a podcast that's entertaining or informative or it's a book that mm-hmm. probably wouldn't have been published mm-hmm. otherwise mm-hmm. if the person didn't have your, right. your help funding right. that right and i think the my takeaway from that conversation was that we're so even fellow writers and artists all of us again because it's kind of like the patriarch patriarchy mm-hmm. paradigm right mm-hmm. we're we're so into it that sometimes we don't realize it mm-hmm. or oftentimes don't realize mm-hmm. how it affects our views and what have you and I was, I kind of came away from that thinking that people really have trouble not seeing everything as like a dollar value per hour, this commodification, mm-hmm. and that the idea of doing it this other way mm-hmm. seemed easy. And yeah, and it's not easy. Right. It's not easy. <laughs> yeah. Not at all. So, not I, at all. yeah. So, I was just curious if you yeah. had any hesitation getting into it, if it's worked well for you, if you had any pushback when you did launch your page or if it's I didn't, kind of not to my face i mean maybe yeah. people thought that and didn't tell me yeah. you know like yeah. oh, why did you know why is she asking me for money but right. i'm just like right. i'm the kind of person that's like if you don't want to give me money don't give me money that's well see your, that's like, my take whatever on it. Yeah, that's I my mean, take on it yeah is i yeah. um i so i didn't know anything about patreon but i met a, a writer great writer uh susan defreitas who used patreon when she when she published her first book of short stories mm-hmm. and I met her at a birthday party. I'd never been before. And she talked about, Oh, I just, I just got a hundred dollars a month, you know, a Patreon. I go, what's that? And she told me about it. I got, yep. and immediately I was like, whatever this is, <laughs> I'm on Sign it. Me up. I'm doing it. Yeah. Um, because, um, one thing that I, one quote, I don't, not going to get the quote right that I love is, uh, not Dr. Phil, but, uh, <laughs> uh you've already uh, said your favorite yeah. Dr. Phil quote, Nicole Georges, who actually did a graph two graphic memoirs. I think, um, she's a cartoon artist and from Portland, really, uh, talented, but she teaches, um, cartoon, um, cartoon studies or whatever, different art, art schools. 
and she says she always loves it when people are like, how can I become a successful cartoonist like you? And she goes, work for free for 15 years, <laughs> uh-huh. making no money. Yeah. So yeah. I make, the, I think the most I ever made was like $650 a month off my Patreon. Mm-hmm. Now I'm down because I lost some donors, uh, bigger donors and people, their cards are declined and then they don't like they whatever, don't like blah, blah, blah. Their new card or whatever. Yeah. You know, it's like how much pestering do you want to do to like right. get the $20, extra $20, whatever. Right. Um, so it goes, kind of goes up and down. But, um, so I have a lot more than a lot of people do, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but that's only because I've been putting out a zine for 15 years yes. and have like a huge list of people's emails and their mailing addresses. And I've done mailings and I do readings all the time and whatever. And it's like, and I'm still making $492 a month and I'm grateful for that. Right. That helped me get an art studio, that helped me pay my rent, my car payment, whatever I needed. Right. But it's not like I'm making a million dollars. It's still like less than $500 a month. You haven't bought an island. And, and that was, yeah, I have not bought an island. Yeah, yeah. Um, and that was because I have, I'm an established person with a record that people are like, I want to throw down a dollar a month. Yeah. And that's the thing. It's like people that I don't never haven't run into a lot of critiques about Patreon on that account of like, it's like. Whatever system or platform can people sign up and give you a dollar a month? You know how much hard how hard it would be to be like, oh, I'm going to drive over to your house and give you a dollar this month. Like that's just like it's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. Right, right. And then you have access to like things on my Patreon page that are just for the patrons. And like if you subscribe at a ten dollars or more, I'll send you something in the mail. If you know there's like different levels, like T-shirt level or like. And do you find that those or you know whatever? Yeah. Do you find that the incentives? incentivize is that the word um some of them do some of them don't i feel like if people have it in their budget it's more like i just want to support you that's kind of my suspicion yeah like one dollar is like i'm poor i'll give you a dollar um if and some people are like i don't care what you give me but i'm rich and i'll give you 25 or 70 or however much yeah but i feel like the one incentive that does for me personally is the five dollar level which is that as long as you're subscribed to the five dollar level every time i put a zine out you get a zine yep because that's something I've already been doing and people want it and value it. Yeah. Everything else is just like whatever. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. But I would Thank recommend you. people do it. But I also think that if you have no kind of track record uh, as an artist in the community or online, it's going to be just it'll just take time. Yeah. Exactly. You know? All so. right. Good insight. Yeah. Thank you very much. You're welcome. Okay. That'll be ten dollars. That'll be ten dollars. <laughs> Uh, ten dollars a month or just ten dollars now? <laughs> consult Patreon okay. consult. Okay, um, and I'll be billing you for this podcast, <laughs> so we'll see if we can work something out. Uh, okay, so uh, let's talk about what we have upcoming. So I already we already talked about in the beginning. Workspace Studio Salon on Friday, April twelfth at seven p.m. One two two nine Diamond Street. That's yes. the address. Yes, yes, that's the address. This is Friday. Um, and your links are... S- well, first of all, is there anything else that's upcoming that we need to let people know about? I don't okay, think so. That's the imminent I'm just... Thing. I mean, if you want to check out my Patreon page, it's just patreon.com backslash Martha Grover. And I'm, I'll put, like, artwork that I'm working on with my graphic memoir up there and, like, net new zines that are coming out. You know, I don't know if I'm going to do that, you know, clean your house and get laid thing or just clean your house well i think we may have just launched it <laughs> so i think oh well either one yeah i mean whatever so I it is i don't want to like oh, guarantee people that they're going to get laid if they clean their house like they may have a terrible personality i'm just saying like that's but here's the thing if you can on that but here's the thing if you can tie that to your patreon 
like if you can guarantee that that is a high level of patreon subscription <laughs> that's like the thousand dollar oh yeah whatever yeah. level maybe in a territory maybe that i'm not comfortable with <laughs> We could be, it depends on local laws. Yeah. I guess we could now be, just incorporate Nevada and you'll be fine. Yeah. I don't know. Okay. I think this is a great time to wrap things up. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I had so much more we could have talked about. Thank you yeah. very much. This was a lot of fun. Thank very you so interesting. much. And I loved your book. And so the book, again, the current book, the most recent book, The End of My Career, the book before that, One More for the People, the, uh, I was going to say the simulcast, the, the, uh, the zine. Yeah. Is Somnambulist, which I think is where Sam Simulcast was coming from. Somnambul yeah. Somnambulist, which is also you didn't say this, but somnambulistzine.com. Yeah. No one is ever gonna go there unless they get there via your Patreon page. So I I'm know. not even gonna spell it. Usually so I spell those things. Don't even worry about it. Don't yeah. even worry about it. Patreon.com slash Martha Grover. Yeah. Martha, thank you very much for being here. Thank you so much. This is great. Super fun. All right. That is all for today, although I wish it weren't. Thanks again to my guest, author Martha Grover. Thanks to Wordspace Studios for hosting me. They, again, are at wordspacestudios.com. Next week, author, filmmaker, and Lit Wings founder Aaron Byrne from Paris. And uh, thank you for watching and listening, as always. I really appreciate it. If you liked the show, would you please share on social media and subscribe, rate, and review wherever you listen or watch. It really helps. And again, I really appreciate it. For more about me, my website is matthewfelix.com and links to my social media, books, including my new one, Porcelain Travels, other podcasts, and all the rest can be found there. If you have any comments, ideas for the show, or just want to say hello, I would love to hear from you at felixonair at matthewfelix.com. Thanks again for watching and listening, and I will talk to you next week from Paris.